Welcome to Kelly McAtee Curated Content for the Busy from the context of the seven mind-molding mountains of cultural influence where we are seeking to be busy with the right things that fill our cup to overflowing because that not only nourishes ourselves, but it overflows onto our households, communities, cities, states, and entire nation. For when the people thrive in the land, the whole land prospers. So today we're talking about the introduction to the governance mountain. I have that positioned as the second mountain after faith. And we'll get into why I put it in that order. Um, But today we want to kind of start to understand what is my conceptualization of the governance mountain? And if you missed the um, first podcast on the intro to Faith Mountain, I invite you to check that out. And then if you haven't listened to the introduction to all seven mountains, I invite you to do that as you have the time as well. So um, what is the governance mountain? Well, a lot of people also call it the political mountain. And so... For a lot of people, it is the cultural influence of the governing institutions in any sort of culture that affects the people of a nation. And I'm taking a slightly different approach on that because it's my notion that governance issues have been hijacked by politics and there is a big difference. So one truly serves the good of the people, and there's evidence of that in a thriving people. And then one serves itself and its own interests as evidenced by a suffering people. And so when politics is thriving, lawlessness, corruption, and impotence, bureaucracy abounds in the land. So What we are experiencing here in the United States of America is we are experiencing the blooming of thriving politics. It is blue donkeys against red elephants and maybe a green something or another in there every once in a while. Um, So it's really become more about different teams What team are you on? What team am I on? And we battle head to head. You know, um, it was very disturbing as a citizen of this nation to watch the head leader of the nation call a certain group of people um, essentially domestic terrorists. So that is really a problem. And to, to show the difference Ronald Reagan is famous for saying things like, we have political opponents, we do not have political enemies. And what we have been watching over the years that is reaching a fever pitch are certain leaders saying that people who are actually their opponents are their enemies. And the people in the land are taking that to heart. And we are seeing the result of leaders actually falsely placing opponents 
as enemies and it's a real it's a real danger so not to harp on that too much um, but that's the difference between politi politics and true governance when true governance is thriving self-governing people abound through hard work and their gifts and their talents which produce abundance in the land so one politics produces oppression and fear and ultimately death the other true governance produces freedom love and life within the land so many people in the seven mountains space will put the government or politics mountain in a different order i have put it second after faith because governance policies affect the people and either put a land and her people on the path to thriving or not so without limited government and a self-governing people businesses do not thrive schools do not thrive communities do not thrive instead bureaucracies thrive that don't make sense because they all become circular and it's essentially death by a thousand paper cuts. So before long, you have entire generations of people who don't know how to do anything except what they're told. And so that's a little bit of where we are. And so for me, the governance mountain is not about politics. It's about our way of life. And what we are seeing and experiencing in the United States is our entire way of life is and has been under complete attack and subtly over time has been completely hijacked by politics and so what do i mean by that um if i were to invite you and your family to join me and my family to a fourth of july parade you would never say something like, oh, we don't get involved in politics. That is just such a nasty business. Thank you so much for your invitation, um, but we really don't get involved in stuff like that. I mean, really? Nobody would ever say that. Why? Because 4th of July is about celebrating our nation, the birth of our nation, and we do so with patriotic colors and parades and hot dogs and some people are on the lake and um, it is truly about family it is about um, celebrating the good that this land has to offer the whole world now are we a perfect land no far from it um, is there a perfect land on this planet no there's good and bad there's stuff we need to deal with there's stuff that wasn't great in the past but we did the best we could to try and deal with it you know a lot of people will point to slavery there's a lot to unpack there really the bottom line very simple um, response to slavery is okay it wasn't perfect there were a lot of people really hurt through all of that but there were also really good people that were fighting against it and we were the first and only nation others followed suit but we were the first nation to explicitly outlaw slavery that's a big deal 
Um, now, is there other stuff around that to deal with? Yes, you bet. But the point is, is that on the 4th of July, we celebrate the good, and that is a right and good thing. It is not about politics. It's about our land. It's about our home. It's about our families. It's about our prospering businesses. It's about our our rights that are given by God in this nation. We acknowledge that nature has a God and even it acknowledges that there is a God and we in this nation acknowledge there is a God as well. And it is because of that that other religions, other ways of thinking are allowed to prosper on this land because we understand our identity. So we are a little bit in a time of we need to return to the simplicity and the core of our true identity as stated in our original documents of the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution of the United States of America, which is largely based on the Mayflower Compact, which all of those are incredible bodies of work that are worthy of us returning to and making things real simple. So a lot of what has happened in this nation is very similar. We can always look back at the prototype of ancient Israel. We can look to the Bible for prototypes and wisdoms all throughout all of the ancient cultures. There were people of God, men and women of God, who had intimate relationships with the living God, Yahweh, who they were always very high up in government institutions because they were able to bring solutions to very complex issues in very simple ways because they were coming directly from God himself. So they were able to bring solutions to the leaders of the time that nobody else of the time could do it. So what do I mean? Joseph, you can look at Joseph. He had insight. He had the ability to interpret dreams. He had the ability to institute, institute policies that were good for the people that in turn made the Pharaoh look good. He was the only one on the planet at that time who knew a famine was coming and he knew to store up food for all of his land and his people. So guess who didn't go hungry when there was a massive famine in all the land? Egypt. They didn't go hungry because there was one person within that administration who said, hey, here's what's coming and here's how we can prepare for it and not fall prey to it. And the, the leader said, okay, do it, Joseph. He let him do, Pharaoh let Joseph do what he knew was right and good to do at the time and the whole land benefited because of it. Daniel is another perfect example of a godly man who over and over and over again refused to bend the knee to whatever, you know, cultural God of the time was. And so when push come to, came to shove and nobody else could interpret things or come up with 
reliable, good solutions that were good for the people, which, hey, that in turn makes the leader of the time look good. When he meets the needs of the people, makes him look good. I don't know any leader who doesn't like to look good. So because people like Darius and other leaders of the time, doesn't matter that they were pagan, guess what? Most of them, even Nebuchadnezzar, ended up, because of the influence of Daniel, ended up being willing to see the truth and go, wow, hold the phone. This God that Daniel keeps talking about is actually real. And I am a gnat in comparison to that God that Daniel is talking about. You can look at Esther, whose whole existence at that time, you can look at her life and see how the way that she chose to live her life ultimately ended up saving an entire people and made her husband, the king at the time, look really good. So she not only was placed in certain positions and gave her the opportunity to stand up for the Lord her God and what was right and good at the time that ended up being good for the entire nation. So we don't have to shy away anymore for our love of the Bible. Um, Any Christians in the United States, you know, or anybody who is kind of interested in understanding more about the Bible and the people of God, nobody needs to shy away from that anymore. We as a nation were built from that place of people coming from England, my ancestors, I'm a direct descendant of the Mayflower through the Fuller family, so my ancestors were separatists, okay? A lot of people get some of this stuff mixed up, and there's a lot of interchanging of terms, but there's a difference between separatists and Puritans and pilgrims and that sort of thing. You know, language over time, it evolves. And so you always want to get to the root. So my ancestors were separatists. They were looking for a place to purely worship the Lord, their God, according to the way they interpreted the word of God. So they're coming over on the Mayflower. There were two boats. The Mayflower was the one that my family was on, and they made it over safely. So there were two groups of people on that Mayflower. There were the separatists, and then there were tradesmen. Those were people who were looking for fresh opportunity. They weren't making it over there in England. Um, There was over-regulation at the time. There was a lot of oppression. There was a lot of the leaders fighting. There was a lot of kind of that crony um, prosperity where they're doing these backroom deals and some person, one person ends up being the favored one and he gets all the deals. You know, all the crap that we're watching now that people are going, hold on a second. This isn't free enterprise. This is crap enterprise. 
because certain people are getting government contracts and other people aren't. You know, there's all sorts of things around that that we're witnessing that we're all getting tired of. It's like it's either fair and open or it is just fair and open and name only. So not to get off on that tangent because I could for a long time, but I won't. I will resist the temptation. So there were two groups of people on that Mayflower. There were those who were seeking to purely worship the Lord their God. Okay, great. And then there were tradesmen who were looking for fresh opportunity. Okay, great. So those two groups of people, and I'm sure, and there's record of the two groups not terribly getting along, all that great. I'm sure the tradesmen thought those separatists were a little stuffy (laughs) and maybe a little rigid. And why are they so serious about this God of theirs? Oh my gosh, lighten up and who cares? And then I'm sure that those separatists were looking at those tradesmen going, oh my gosh, why are they so gross and so crude and um, so nasty? And they talk terrible and I wish they would tighten up a little bit. But whatever, let's move on. So what they did, once they reached these shores, they got together and all the men signed the Mayflower Compact. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because two separate and probably opposite groups of thinking people came together and found what they could agree on. What could they agree on? They could agree on a loose understanding of we're going to have some order here. You're going to be able to go do what you need to do. I'm going to be able to go do what I need to do. And we are going to create places and spaces where your trades meet some of my needs. My needs and gifts and abilities are going to meet some of your needs. And they agreed to it and they signed off on it. Quite frankly, that Mayflower Compact, if you do some due diligence and start looking into that yourself, it really was a pretty simple agreement. And they all came together and it worked. Now, they they did establish a leader. They established a, a governor, essentially. And so they needed someone that they could go to with some disputes. Um, they needed to be able to have some sort of governing authority that could help deal with some of that stuff. So um, it is right and good to have leaders that others can go to to help sort some things out. Anytime that you've got humans working and living together, you're going to have some things that need to be dealt with. That's not a big deal. You just deal with them and you move on. So where we are today is a lot of those ordinances have gotten spun out. They've gotten overcomplicated. They've gotten um, highly bureaucratic, which squashes things. It doesn't cause things to work and move and flourish. And um, we've also gotten to where it's very similar to the time that Jesus was on this planet. So um, you can look at the timeline, and by the time Jesus got here, and was walking and talking and living and working and breathing and teaching and learning on this planet, fully God and fully man, he saw that the leaders of the time took 10 basic words or ordinances, the 10 commandments, they took 10 of those, 
And over time, they spun them out into 672 or so ordinances that then the leaders were constantly fussing about. Even they couldn't decide on how to interpret all those ordinances that they made. They were fussing. They were fighting. It was very circular. It is like death by a thousand paper cuts. It was like they were rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. None of them could agree. It caused division. It caused fractions. It caused little groups to form saying, well, this is right. No, no, this is right. No, this is right. Golly, I hate those guys. They're so dumb. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing. And they were all doing it. Does that sound or feel familiar? It sure does to me. And we're, the people are just sitting there going, you know, we're dying out here. We're hungry. We're poor. We just want to work and raise our kids and teach them, go to church. You know, there's some groups that don't want to go to church. Okay, don't go to church. You know, so meanwhile, all the, quote, smartest of the smart people who, if you look at them, you're like, wow, you might not be quite as smart as you think you are because you're really missing the point. And so meanwhile, the people are really suffering. So Jesus comes along and he says, you know what, guys, all this junk that y'all are fighting about, none of it matters. Let me boil it down real simple for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. Done. So what started as 10 words or ordinances by the humans who we tend to do this. We have a tendency to overcomplicate things when it's not necessary. But okay, kind of human nature. Let's just know that and let's deal with it. So the human nature over time spun it out to all these ticky-tacky rules that nobody could agree on. Then Jesus, fully God and fully man, comes around and says, you know what? Here's what matters. Love your creator with all you've got because when that's your foundation, you can see clearly and all the rest falls into place. Love others. As you love yourself, which means if you don't properly and rightly love yourself, you cannot love others properly. Now, I don't mean, um, that doesn't mean narcissism. That does not mean exalt self above others. It does not mean love and serve yourself to the detriment of everybody else. And some of the stuff that I'll get into is how in my own life, how I have had to come to terms with my definition of love has been very wrong. It has been tied up in a lot of cultural messages that are absolutely and completely the antithesis or the opposite of God's definition of love. I had to get to the bottom of what God's definition of love was not my own very worldly definition of love. So essentially, we are experiencing the same principle. We are experiencing the same prototype in the United States of America, where the leaders and the lawyers of this nation, because that's who runs our country, are the lawyers, um, legalese, that 
a normal human sitting there reading the legalese goes, yeah, I don't get it. I don't know what language you're talking, but it ain't everyday working Americans. That's not how we talk. So there's a major disconnect. I, as a regular citizen, I can read the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution, and I'm like, done, clear, really clear, got it. Now, then I can go and read a lawyer's amendment or um, opinion of that Constitution or, you know, some sort of legal case where it is now morphed into legalese, and I can go, huh. Don't know one thing that says. Sounds pretty circular to me. Sounds pretty ambiguous. Sounds pretty vague. Seems to kind of set the stage for certain people to exploit it and profit by it and certain others to be entrapped by it. I say we throw out the whole lot that has spun out over the years and we get back to the real core of this nation which are original documents. We just kind of scrap it. We just scrap everything that has spun out over these years and we get back to the original document. We just kind of hit the reset button. And then we go from there. Because another really interesting book that I highly suggest for everyone to read, it's called Mafia Democracy. How Our Republic Became a, ro- a Mob Racket. Okay, y'all, this is an absolutely fascinating book. And it is written by Michael Franzese, who I had the privilege about 10 years ago to actually spend some time with him and get to know him just a little bit. He was the speaker for an event that I was running in Dallas for the men's prison ministry that I was on the board with. that This men's prison ministry is one of the great loves of my life. They are out there in the trenches every single day loving on people in the Dallas area prisons. And it is one of the most remarkable ministries. And let me tell you why. Because it goes into some of the darkest places and it shares the greatest light that anybody who is desperate enough to see and receive, it will absolutely change you. And so the testimonies of these men who emerge and make the choice, they end up being some of the most phenomenal humans you will ever come across on this planet. So it was through that Rod Ministries um, and it's Rod Ministries, R-O-D-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S dot org. If you have any curiosity, hop on there. Uh, Michael Franzese came to speak at one of our events. And so Michael is the real deal, y'all. He is the real deal. He is a former, like, top mobster, had an incredibly lucrative racket going on. He ends up meeting his wife, falling in love. She introduces him to Jesus. He falls in love with Jesus and ends up on a totally different path and is out there speaking the truth in incredible ways. Read Mafia Democracy. It's incredible. It absolutely outlines how we have morphed 
and changed in this nation, and it has to do through the unions, it has to do through our corrupt leaders who have got to go. They've got to go. And we, the people, we've got some work to do. Now that therein lies the sticky wicket. A lot of us are pretty taxed, right? We're overloaded. For a lot of people, family life and work life is all is all the bandwidth they've got. Man, I get it. I, I mean, that's how, that's how we have been in our household. But that is what this whole brand, curated content for the busy, is about. We have got to, every single one of us, we have got to take stock of our lives. And we have got to decide, am I actually, is my life full with the right things that the Lord my God wants me to be doing? Are each one of us sowing our gifts and abilities out in the world in a way that is pleasing to Him? I don't know about you, but I have been real distracted. Now, I am a recovering blonde, so um, don't hold that against me, but Anytime, it is like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Oh, this is neat. Oh, this is a fun project. Oh, this is an amazing ministry. Oh, this is a great cause. Oh, I need to be doing this. Oh, so-and-so called, and I really love them, and they want me to help them with their project. Like, all of those are good things, but are they the God things for me and my life right now during this time? So those are the things that I really want to challenge everybody with. Now, it's not terribly easy, but if you can take it little by little, step by step, slowly start to really look at things, and you don't change your whole world or what you're focused on all at once. You know, it's little by little. It is precept upon precept. It is one tiny little thing of, you know what, I think what I'm going to start doing, I'm going to allow myself a little bit of time. So I understand my personality. I'm a yes man. I like to be a yes man. However, <laughs> when I'm a yes man and I'm saying yes to absolutely everything that comes across my plate, well, guess what? I'm spun out, too busy, don't have time for the right things that I'm supposed to be focused on. But maybe you're a no man. I love the no men in my life. I have gotten to where I go to them and I help them, I have them help me to say no to stuff and I help them to say yes to stuff. So do you know which one you are? Are you a yes man? If you are, start writing down on paper, what is everything that I'm saying yes to that maybe I need to evaluate because maybe I'm, I don't have room in my life for the things that God wants me to say yes to. Now, are you a no man? Write down everything that you're saying no to. Is there something in there, maybe one thing, that you're supposed to say yes to? That's the idea. It, the idea is bringing balance. The idea is understanding who you are, where your own pitfalls and traps are. Mine are to say yes to absolutely everything. So I have had to learn to put buffers in my language. When somebody comes along that I like, I enjoy, it sounds like an exciting opportunity, I have to say things like, oh, that sounds so neat. 
send me any information that you can on it, including what the requirements are, what the dates are, what is going to be required of me. I'll take some time to look at it, evaluate it, and see if I have the bandwidth for it. Now, right off the bat, if somebody can't tell me those things, then it's probably not a good fit for me because I have to be able to evaluate to know if I've got the bandwidth for it, to be able to then lob it up to the Lord and inquire of Him, hey God, you want me to say yes to this? If you do, you gotta show me what you want me to roll off of in order to give my time and energy and effort towards this particular thing. So I have had to develop a process. I love opportunities, but that can also cause me to maybe say yes to stuff before I've completed the first thing that I said yes to. You know, so you can start to kind of see, if you know anything about project management, there's such thing as Gantt charts, there's, um, you know, timelines and that sort of thing. Maybe I can say yes to something in this way. Maybe I can say, oh, yes, I'm so excited about that, but I cannot begin that particular project until this date because that is the completion of something else I have already committed to. Now, if that doesn't work for that other person, great, no problem, I'm not your fit. It might be great for that person. They might say, oh, that works out perfectly. I actually can't have you start until then anyway. So you get the idea, you get the concept. The whole idea is for the citizenry in this United States of America to start to step up and engage wherever their gifting and calling is so that the whole land flourishes. We have got to all stop hiding behind the excuse of, I don't engage in politics. Guess what? I don't engage in politics either. It is a nasty business. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. It is horrible. I do not engage in politics yet. I have um, run for local office. Some people would say that's engaging in politics. Not for me, it wasn't. For me, it was a call. For me, it was about stepping out and speaking the truth and love. For me, it was about getting among the people and listening. How's it going? What's going on? What are you feeling? What needs do you have that the leadership is not meeting? So for me, it wasn't at all about politics. For me, it was about governance. For me, it was about being with the people who are hurting, they're scared, they're feeling alone, they feel like they don't have a voice, they feel like nobody is paying attention to them. They feel marginalized and vilified just because they ask questions. They feel totally and completely hopeless. So that's what it was for me. And let me just speak to a few topics that are, have been politicized over the years, which remember, that's a nasty word. And there's politics and everything from government institutions, to businesses, to churches. There's politics. Anywhere there's humans, there's politics. And how do I define politics? 
Politics is about the enrichment and the betterment of the individuals who operate within it. So politics has a tendency as a system, a political system has a tendency to attract to it certain personalities that may be like power, that may be like manipulation, that may be like the whole notion of, ooh, I can make some big money here. We have publicly seen how politicians on all sides of the aisle enrich themselves in massive ways. They go into politics with a certain net worth and they come out of it with an unbelievable net worth. How does that happen? Ah, they make relationships. They make deals. They see what's really going on. They learn how the system really works and then they learn how to tap into it and get into the flow. Now here's the deal. I don't care squat about people making money. Great, go make money. Absolutely, go do it. But you can't do it at the expense of others. So years ago, I went into real estate. I absolutely love it. I am gifted at it. I am good at it. It felt like putting on an old pair of shoes instantly that formed to my feet. It felt so good getting into real estate. Let me tell you what you learn real fast. You learn real fast who the agents and brokers are who absolutely and completely squash and oppress others in order for them to make big money. Well, you know what? I went into it and I ended up being a top producer within a year and I guarantee you I didn't squash a single person to do it. I didn't have to. I just did my job well. So there's always two paths to wealth. There is a scripture in the Proverbs that says, it openly says, when God brings wealth, he brings no trouble with it. So what does that concept mean? It means that within God's design, he designed humans to sow their God-given gifts and abilities into the earth. And it is by that hard work that they will profit hugely from it with no trouble with it. So what do I mean by that? I don't care if you are a janitor and gifted with cleaning, or you are a painter, or you are an electrician, or you are an attorney. We need gifted attorneys. I don't care what your gifting is. If you work hard at it, if you do it excellently every day unto the Lord, whether anybody notices or not, I promise over time you will profit greatly from it, both monetarily and emotionally and spiritually. It's what the design is for. So I know of painters who they call themselves, oh, I'm just a painter. And there's this one in particular, like, really, you're just a painter? The man is a commercial painter who, who makes millions and millions of dollars a year. He started in high school as a painter, and that's how he sees himself. So that's the point. That's just the illustration of if 
the government and the governing bodies in a land allows the people and their gifting and their talent to flourish and be out there in the marketplace meeting needs. Let's get back to the Mayflower. Here's an example. Socialism. They tried it. They tried socialism. We have prototype after prototype after prototype all throughout history where socialism, communism, Marxism, it doesn't work. We know this. But why are the young people drawn to it? Why over and over and over again are they drawn to it? Well, because there is a certain level of promised security in it that it is not actually designed to deliver. The only thing that we can do is work hard. It is hard work that delivers the security that the humans are desperately searching, searching, got my tongue tied there, searching for. So in the context of the Mayflower, what happened? Well, they tried to all share the land and share the duties. It was kind of a socialist project. What happened? Well, those who have a penchant for endless hard work worked their tails off and then those with the penchant for laziness which hey there are some people that their personality they just tend to be a little bit lazier okay fine let's just acknowledge that so what happened those who worked their tails off ended up producing all the food and all the bounty for the land and then those who were the lazy ones who really didn't work very hard they got the same amount as the people who worked their tails off and they all so what is that so that sows bitterness that sows resentment and so then they went to their governor and they said hey this isn't working you know we're kind of bitter at the ones who sit out and sleep in and i'm up early farming the land and they get the same amount that I do. I don't think so. This isn't working. So that's when they start, they said, okay, let's divide up the land. You, you know, you purchase and work this land. You purchase and work this land. And then the ones that have the penchant for the laziness, they can go, man, this farming thing, this is for the birds. Hey, gifted farmer who you don't mind getting up early and working the land, how about I buy food from you? And what I'll do, because I, I, don't, I don't like getting up early. I'm really more of a night owl. What I'll do is I'll invent for you this little thing that will help you farm the land more efficiently. And then I'll sell that to you. Voila. Man who likes to sleep in, go ahead, sleep in. Make your invention that helps the farmer who doesn't want to sleep in. He's awake and ready to get to work. Great. Get up. Go work the land. I will buy food from you. You will buy this invention from me. We will all benefit. The land will flourish. Boom. Done. I mean, so great. So these are ideas and concepts that allow the people to flourish. And where we have come in the United States of America is the citizens have, we have neglected our citizen responsibility, which is 
to raise up from us leaders that are who they say they are and who are going to do the work. Now, let me tell you this. The other thing that has happened is that the, the, the leaders who are required to leave their lucrative businesses to go lead, why do you think nobody good wants to step up and run for any of these local positions? Because it sucks and the pay sucks. Like we have got to get better at paying people properly for the hard work that they do. That's why things are so out of balance. And there are really gifted teachers that would go teach, but they can't provide for their family on a teaching salary. That is just wrong. So we have a lot of reordering to do in our society, right? So it's not that the sports stars don't work their tails off. They do. But it's out of balance. So somehow that's why people are crying out for this socialistic um, idea and ideology because things get out of balance. Now, did you know that in ancient Israel there are prototypes already in place that keep everybody on the same level? And it's not socialistic. It's not. But it is right in the Bible. The framework, the system is right in the Bible. They had cycles. They had, we actually just came out of a Shemitah year. That is a whole year of rest. That is a whole year of letting the land rest, letting the people rest. Everybody I know is spun out and exhausted. Why? Because there's no room in our culture for rest. We're out of balance. There is a prototype of weekly rest in the Bible. Like seriously, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, total rest. Like as in, our shops should probably be closed. Heaven forbid. You know, we should probably all turn our phones off completely and we just be with our family, with our household, maybe have a total pajama day where we don't get out of our pajamas. We just rest. You, you work and prepare all the food that you need for that 24 hours ahead of time. You, don't, you take a break from even cooking or emptying the dishwasher or whatever you need rest from. You know, um, so those are beautiful concepts that all we have to do is take those concepts and apply them to modern society and boom, you've got balance. Another one is the wealthy farmers, the wealthy landowners, they kept the crop at the edges of their land so that those passing by or those who were poor could come and work they weren't handouts. They had to work. But it was available to them to come and work the edges of the property so that they could have food. So this whole notion of the welfare state has absolutely and completely crippled large sections of our society because work is a good thing. Now, do we as humans want to do it? There's a lot of us that kind of go, this sucks, man. I don't want to go to work. I want to go, you know, ride my bike or sit by the pool. Well, guess what? We're out of balance. 
Rest and recreation is more fulfilling when it is coming off the heels of a section of time of really hard work. Guess what? When you're constantly resting and recreating, it's actually full of anxiety because you know that you've neglected to balance your checkbook or do the work or do the things that you don't want to do because you're avoiding those to go recreate. I don't even know if that's a word, but it has become a word now. So we've got to start to face the places and spaces and ideas in our society where we have gotten out of balance. We can't just say, oh my gosh, young people or people who are advocating for socialism, what idiots you are. We can't do that. What we have to do is we have to see, okay, wait a second. There is a need here that is not being met. And we need to actually look into that and address the need instead of calling people foolish who are believing in something that we can see so clearly is actually not good for them. Why? Why are they wanting that? Well, also embedded in ancient Hebrew culture was waves of time where debts were forgiven. Too many people are crushed under debt and imprisoned by debt that they can't ever get out of. I mean, I could go on and on and on about student loans and how young people who are just doing what they're advised to do by people they trust are being ensnared and entrapped under massive amounts of debt that the jobs that are waiting for them on the other side of the education will never provide for them the income to pay that debt off. That sucks. So we've got to come up with a better way. And then people are vilified who are trying to speak the truth, saying those are bad loans. Don't take those loans. And then people, oh my gosh, these horrible people who don't want loan forgiveness. It's like the loans were crap to begin with. Why are authority figures providing and advancing and advocating for loans that these young people don't, they don't know that these are bad loans. They're just trying to get an education. So the whole thing needs dealing with. And there are bad people, there are predatory lending practices out there that I fell prey to hook, line, and sinker because I believed what was being told to me. And yet it was my responsibility to get out of them. So it's like, well, wait a second. I was just listening to what is considered, quote, wise counsel. It turns out that wasn't wise counsel and they're not on the hook. I am. That sucks. So there was even sections of time because there is an understanding that that sort of thing happens. Well, there was embedded in ancient Hebraic culture times of loan and debt forgiveness. That's a good thing. Let's reset. Let's get back and let's understand that human nature will necessarily allow certain things to get out of whack. Okay, we know that. So we've got embedded in the system practices and accountability that allows us to reset.
So there's a lot out there. If you're interested, study the Shemitah year, study the year of Jubilee, um, study the, the, the times in the ancient Hebraic culture where the whole idea was nobody was ever to get too high and nobody was ever to get too low. Everybody worked together, yet there was always prosperity. There was always abundance. Nobody lived in squalor. So we don't have to be afraid of these ideas and concepts. The whole idea is for everybody to prosper. And it is absolutely and completely possible. So we will unpack a lot of these ideas over time under the governance mountain. We will see how faith is truly the precursor and a very important precursor to the governance mountain. We will see how the governance mountain, if it actually functioned according to true governance and not nasty, corrupt politics, how it would actually call um, cause the mountains that follow it of money and work, learning and education, health and the family, creativity, and the arts and entertainment and media, we will see how all of those other mountains that follow it would absolutely and completely prosper and thrive and blossom and bloom for the good of absolutely everyone. So I just want to thank you so much for being here and for your time. Um, I, I ask that you please consider sharing it. Um, if you've heard anything, please email me anytime. Message me if you have got any questions whatsoever. Kelly at kellymackatee.com. Uh, my website is kellymackatee.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-M-A-C-A-T-E-E.com. I'm on Substack. You can share and hear any of this on the Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and also through Substack, which is Substack. It's Kelly McAtee, which I just spelled. Hopefully you got it down. KellyMcAtee.substack.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-M-A-C-A-T-E-E dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com feel like I'm doing a cheer. So I will cheer for you. Know that I am always blessing you and your daily life and your family with eyes to see and ears to hear. And may a great, great thriving begin to take place in your entire world for your good and your household's good that will overflow onto your community, your state, this nation, and the whole world. Bless you.